Demidrone, do you work in Irish Jesuit Communications? You are a content editor for the website and you are, uh, write regularly for their blog in all things. You're also a historian. And you've been to see Martin Scorsese's latest film, Silence. What did you make of the film? And maybe first, would you contextualise it for people who are listening? The movie is based on a very well-known book by the Japanese Catholic author, Shusaku Endo. The book is called Silence, as the movie is. And uh, it concerns the Jesuit missions in Japan in around the 1630s, 1640s, a time when the official attitude in Japan had shifted from one of tolerance of Christianity to one of active persecution. The core of the story is the journey of two Portuguese Jesuits to Japan in order to both minister to the hidden Christians. These are the, after the persecution had got very, very vigorous, some of them had taken to the caves and to the sort of darker, uh, more hidden areas along the coast, and they had no priests or anything. So these two priests are sent to both to minister to them and to find out what they can about their former mentor, teacher in the seminary, Father Ferreira. Rumour has it that he apostatized. They don't believe it. They think he was firm of faith. They can't imagine that he could ever renounce Christ. But they've, they've gone to find out what actually happened. And when they're there, they find a world really quite different from anything they had expected. They came bringing a, a kind of a tight, coherent, complete system of belief from Europe and they find themselves mired in a very different, complex, problematic, murky, pastoral situation, both with, with the people, the, the, the Christians, the hidden Christians themselves, and with the Inquisitor and his helpers. It, so there is a, a Japanese Inquisitor who... Is his job is to find out if people are Christian and to either make them change their ways, apostatize, as you say, renounce their faith, or face torture and death. Yes, he's an efficient bureaucrat, and he, uh, he's, his portrayal in the movie is chilling. And it is he who, through kind of careful and a kind of perspicacious observation of the priests, in particular of the main protagonist, Father Rodriguez, finds a way to make him undergo the same journey that Father Ferreira, who did in fact apostatize, undergo the same journey that Father Ferreira underwent, and is brought to the same crisis, the same crisis of faith, which is a moment, a kind of a breakdown moment, but also in some ways maybe it is a breakthrough moment. And I think that's at the core of the film. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is the core of the film? Because I know the book, which came out many years ago in the 60s, Scorsese got the book in the 80s, I think, it was given to him. Endo is often wants to look at what does it mean to be a truly a Christian? Is that a central theme? What does faith mean in the actual film? Does Scorsese carry that through? Well, Shusaku Endo was uh, that rare beast, uh, a, a Japanese Catholic, and also maybe it, his own personal story made him even rarer still, as it was only after his parents divorced that his mother, when he was only, I think, 11 years old, decided to become a Catholic, and he became a Catholic with her. But it never sat easily on him, and he found himself trying to shed the faith in later years, but found, as he confessed late in life, that he couldn't. It stayed. 
He went to Europe during this time and he was there at a time when there was something of a Catholic literary revival in the years after the Great War and through the Second World War and thereon. And this was a revival of a kind of a slightly different, more problematic Catholicism. It wasn't the, there had been an earlier Catholic revival that was full of, you might say, a communicating God, but this now, after the horrors, the trauma of the First World War, this was the the Deus Absconditus, the hidden God, the silent God, the nonchalant God, the absent God, the dark God. This is the God who's not there when you want him, not there when you pray to him, not there when you light a candle to him. And Endo brought his Japanese sensibility to this, and I think he was both an out, not an outcast so much as a, a, he was an outsider in Japan by virtue of being Catholic, and he was an outsider in Europe by virtue of being Japanese. And yet he created this really, really fine-wrought and probing sort of synthesis of, of this double sensibility, the Eastern and the Western, viewed from the Eastern point of view. In dealing with this issue of what truly constitutes faith. And this is the core tension of the novel and the core tension of the movie. It's very clear in the movie um, that there's something shown to be lacking in the coherent and complete system of Christianity which the missionaries are bringing to Japan. In fact, visually, it's well conveyed, I think, in Scorsese's movie when the two priests... Rodriguez and his fellow priest come to the shore of Japan, everything is shrouded in a kind of murky, dense sea fog. And then they come in and they have to hide at night time. And then there's a dark kind of rainforest everywhere. Everything, in some sense, conveys a, a sense of, of the incomprehensible, of, of the, the covert, of the underground. Everything is less certain, less in the light than the Christianity which they were bringing. So the Christianity that they thought they were bringing undergoes some kind of change in the crucible of potential torture and the torture of the Christian community there. Can you explain that a bit for us? That's true. That, that is what happens. I remember reading that Shusaku Endo said that he thought at the core of his novel was the changing image of Christ. And I think that's what is conveyed in the film as well. The men come, they have a clear idea of Christ, and they find themselves in a world where an inquisitor is asking people to trample on the face of Christ, a bronze plaque of Christ set on the ground in front of them. To stand on that as a way of showing their renunciation of their faith, a way of, as a way of apostatizing. And the way it seems to Father Rodriguez from the start is that this is an action which must not take place because it would be to betray Christ. And when late in the movie he meets Father Ferreira, he accuses him of being a disgrace and a traitor. But he, travelling by that same path, comes eventually to a different kind of a realisation that there might come, apart from that essential world of Christianity, there can be existential experiences of Christianity which require something of you, which, we say, wasn't in the books. And in his case, he comes to learn that perhaps the only way that he can remain faithful to Christ is, as he hears the plaque say to him, trample on me, is by trampling on, by treading on the image of Christ. Now, I think there is in this a very interesting idea, and I think the movie carries it well. I refer to the work of the French Catholic theologian Jean-Luc Marion, who makes it 
a, a very careful distinction between the idol and the icon. And the way he sees it is that the idol is the object upon which the gaze comes to rest. Uh, it doesn't go any further, and therefore it is simply the object. Whereas the icon gestures to the gazer, to the looker, to go beyond, to the invisible that lies behind the visible. And I think that bronze representation of Christ that Father Rodriguez is asked to step on beckons him to look beyond itself to the reality, to the real Christ that lies beyond. And if you consider how firmly within the kind of, let's say, high Christology of the Church, the notion of radical identification between Christ's followers and, and Christ himself, well, then I think we can see that this is what the image of Christ on the ground is referring Father Rodriguez to. And that's because Father Rodriguez apostatizes because the Christian community are being tortured, are being crucified upside down if he doesn't. It's for them, in a way, that he feels, I can't allow them to suffer on like this. In a way, they become the image of Christ. They are the image of Christ. And they are being trampled on. They are being trampled on by the inquisitors. They are being trampled on by the courtiers that, that, that are surrounding the, the state apparatus that is suppressing Christianity. They are being trampled on. So the only way to, you might say, to stop that the image of Christ, the, the imago Dei present in all the Christians who are being persecuted, is to step on the plaque on the ground. And that's what Christ says to Father Rodriguez, in his imagination, of course, it says, step on me. I came to earth so that I would be stepped on and therefore share in the sufferings of men. And I think that this is the core point of theodicy in the movie. It's uh, obviously it remains a problem. There's no simple answer to the, the ultimate question of why evil or anything of the kind. But Shusaku Endo leaves us very much with the supposition that that God has elected to respond to human suffering, not by eliminating it, but by sharing in it, by experiencing it, by taking it upon God's self. And really, that's where we're, we're, we're left with the movie, realising that as Father Rodriguez comes to understand it at the end, that his own apostasy constitutes an act of fidelity in the very rarefied circumstances of this narrative. How convincing is that, or how does it sit with a modern sensibility? Because so often in Christianity we hear of people who went to the gas chambers, had their heads cut off, who suffered terrible torture and martyrdom rather than renounce their faith. The Japanese went the first to invent the torture of Christians. And we've been held up these models who have died for Christ because Christ died for us and showed us a model of forgiveness and suffering horrendous torture. And yet here we have these Jesuits who are prepared to apostatize when they are faced with the threat of torture. Is it convincing that they're doing it just on behalf of the small Japanese community? That's, it's a really good question and I don't think there's a straight answer to it, but I would I'd come at it like this. The Christians that are let's say, in danger of being tortured or are, are being tortured and whose torture will stop only if Father Rodriguez apostatizes. Father Rodriguez is told by Father Ferreira that they are doing it not for Christ, because some of them have apostatized already, but they're doing it for him, for Father Ferreira. And he has to ask himself, you know, can I accept this sacrifice? Am I allowed to look in the face? And face is a very important motif in this, both in the novel and in the movie. Am I able to look in the face of these suffering Christians and say, I accept your suffering? 
on my behalf or on Christ's. And maybe we're brought into that same dark area that I mentioned in a recent blog post talking about Leonard Cohen of Abraham on Mount Moriah, who asked first by God to sacrifice his son, then finds himself looking face to face with his son and finds another command, a countermand, which is, I am human, thou shalt not kill. You cannot kill, you cannot bear, you cannot tolerate my suffering. And therefore he, even though the Bible, in the biblical account, it's an angel comes to him and tells him, you know, to pick, take the ram out of the thicket and sacrifice it in, instead. The way it can be read and the way, as I said, then it has been read by Emmanuel Levinas, for example, is that the, the f- presence of the face of the other is an ethical demand. It says, do not accept my suffering. And this perhaps is something like what Father Rodriguez goes through when he sees these suffering Christians. And that too calls on him. And maybe this is an irresolvable conflict, you know, the call to not to renounce Christ. But then you find, well, Christ is in these Christians. Christ, they are part of the body of Christ. They cannot be renounced either. And they say to me, thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not have any part in my killing. And so that also calls on him. And Of course, there's no easy resolution, but he finds the way, the only way that can make sense to him at this moment of his narrative, which is that he must take Christ at his imagined word that he wishes to be trampled on in order to save his people. You mentioned the face and that theme that's there in Endo and in Scorsese's film as well. And Scorsese himself, in a recent interview with Antonio Spadaro, the Jesuit, talked about the power of the faith. He talked about his own Catholic faith and he talked about the birth of his daughter. She almost died. and He was there, but both the mother and daughter almost died in childbirth. And then the baby is brought into him as a little girl. She's now 17. And he says when he looked at her face, he saw the face of God. He said it was mystical. In that film, when you talk about the trampling on the face, but it's the face of Christ who speaks out and says, do this, this is what I came for. Is there a sense that the faith of the Jesuits change then as they come through the whole process of meeting that kind of a reality where Christianity is not readily acceptable, it's not Europe, it's a totally different culture, and faced with that reality, their faith changes? Yeah, I think the idea that whatever Christianity is, wherever else it is, it can't be the same in Japan, it runs through the movie too. At various stages, there are references to Japan being a swamp, you know, a land where the seed of Christianity cannot take root. And uh, this is very much Father Ferreira's realization, which he tells to Father Rodriguez, you know, I came to see that the faith cannot take root here. This is not the kind of land, this is not the kind of soil in which the faith can take shape. But it can take shape, and it does take shape, it just takes a different shape. And I think this seems to come through. There's no doubt, and I think both in the novel and it's made clear, maybe even over explicit in the film version, that in spite of the apostasy, Father Rodriguez's faith is not gone. It remains, but it is transformed. It is transmuted, as Nietzsche would see it, you know. And it is a different kind of faith. He loves, as I think, I think in the novel it said it's something to the effect that he came to love Christ differently. Something like that is said, and that's very much the impression you're given in the movie. He came to love Christ differently, he came to believe in Christ differently, he came to hope in Christ differently. And he has to live with all the contradictions of that difference. 
But that itself is a maturity. And what appears to be an unbridgeable chasm between the faith as it is given and then the faith as it is received, you know, it probably does have resonance even for us today when we consider that the Pope's apostolic exhortation Amoris Laetitia has been so badly received by certain people in the church uh, who say you're handing everything over to the pastoral side of things what about the law what about the, the teachings they're clear you can't compromise them or you can't bypass them and go straight to the pastoral and just talk about mercy and well you know maybe you can maybe this is one area I think where the church doctrine really will have to develop a great deal that the correct order of things is not that the law comes first and then life comes after it but really that the law ends up putting a shape on life on experience on pastoral experience on personal experience and all the crises and all the murkiness and all the dirt and the the difficulties that are entailed in that so there is a sense of we can have an homogenous worked out deposit of the faith and a a theory and an experience of our Christianity, but when it hits the reality of something new and the reality of people's lived experience, it's not that clear-cut. This is where, this is the field hospital that Pope Francis speaks about. Yes, and I think maybe the person who conveys this sense of things best is a Japanese man called Kichijiro, and he is given to the two Portuguese Jesuits as their translator guide, whatever, uh, when they are heading over to Japan. He guides them to the kind of the dark coast where they meet up with the hidden Christians, but he betrays them repeatedly. And he had previously apostatized himself, he had betrayed his own family. He keeps coming back asking for forgiveness. He keeps, every time he meets Father Rodriguez, he has a reason to ask him to hear his confession and asks forgiveness. It was interesting in the theatre on the night that when this had happened four or five times and then he, he comes back into the story and once again he asks Father Rodriguez, hear my confession. And quite a number of people in the theatre giggled. They thought this was a bit of a, a, a you know, this was a, a bit comic of a comic. Movie. Yeah, that, that this Kichijiro was a bit of a, you know, the fool, the jester figure and it was just a little bit of lightness in what was really quite a terribly heavy movie. But... I think more and more, as you go through the movie, you see that Rodriguez actually has to learn that he is very much like Kichijiro himself. In fact, that Kichijiro is perhaps the image of Christ. It is Christ as Christ is found in Christians who are forever lapsing, who are forever falling, forever not able to meet their high ideals, but who forever come back looking for forgiveness, who forever come back looking to be absolved wanting to start over again, not even fully believing they can make it next time, but they're going to try and then they fall again and then they come back. It's not that funny. There's a wonderful pathos in it. And I think it might be very close to the real meaning of the whole movie, is that this Kichijiro, who seems to be a bit of a clown, is actually what it's all about. In the end, Father Rodriguez has to undergo some of the same steps. Not only does he have to apostatize once, but again and again, the officials towards the end of the movie have to ask him, you know, require of him that he renounce his faith, that he argue against Christianity, that he track down Christian objects, Christian artifacts uh, when Dutch ships start coming into the country. And repeatedly, in some sense, he has to renounce, betray, renounce, betray. But all the time, there's a faith that is alive. There is a, a f- refusal to betray in, a, in another sense. What about the other Japanese Christians? What kind of faith do they have? Do we get any sense of that? Or is the focus mostly on the Jesuits? 
No, there's there's quite a bit about the, the hidden Christians themselves. I mean, in some sense, they are the great threat that looms over the Portuguese Jesuits because in their bureaucratic perspicacity, the Inquisitor and his fellows have identified that the way to deal with Christianity is not to attack the Christians themselves, but to get the priests to renounce the faith and then the whole edifice will crumble. So these hidden Christians who are tracked down and and uh, brought from their villages off to a compound to be tortured and everything else, their torture is dangled in front of these Jesuit priests and they're told, you know, you can stop them from suffering, you can end that suffering, but to do so you must renounce your faith. So they're, in that sense they are... Uh, from a plot point of view, they're 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 very important. Can we say more than that about them? There is a sense in which they are very like the first Christians, who maybe didn't have a rock solid theology the way we you know we have it since the great systematizing of 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 the Middle Ages and so on. But they knew what they believed and they stood by it. And but they wouldn't be able to answer many of your apologetical questions. But there they were in Rome and they were hiding in the catacombs and they were gathering in upper rooms and they were trying to keep this faith alive, even though they didn't quite understand it all. And there's a sense in which Father Rodriguez meets that in these hidden Christians. He cannot. How can you doubt the faith of people who will undergo the greatest suffering, who will sing hymns as they are being killed, much like we hear from the martyrologies of the early centuries of Christianity. How can one doubt the depth of their faith? But their faith isn't, doesn't have that kind of European finesse, coherence and so on. But so it's sort of a peasant faith? Or, you know, is it a, well, we're life so awful here, we, at least we'll have an afterlife? Or do you think, is it deeper than that? Well, it's certainly that much. They, they, at one stage, they do ask for reassurance from Father Rodriguez. They say, when we die, death is good, isn't it? Because when we die, we will go to paraiso, which is the Portuguese word for, that they remember they, for, for heaven, you know, paraiso, paradiso. And he affirms, yes, yes, that's what I'll, that'll happen. Ah, that's good. Right, then we don't, we're not afraid of death. So yes, certainly there is the idea of escaping from a, a grim world, but that's not enough to account for the sacrifice and the integrity that they show. Father Rodriguez and his fellow priest get them to the point where they, this is before they themselves have been captured, get to the point of where the, when the, when the Inquisitor comes around that they can step on the, the image of Christ without renouncing their faith, but just to do it. It's a gesture. It's just a matter of being discreet. But the Inquisitor realizes that uh, there's some there's a bit of trickery going on here now, and then he asks for further proofs of their renunciation, and they can't do it. Spit on the cross. They can't do it except Kijijiro. And maybe he's who we all are, and maybe that's it. And maybe that's it, as you say. And is that the hope then that is in the film? Because it is bleak. It's grey. It's dark. It's I presume beautifully shot when it's Scorsese, but we do know him for his famous mean streets and taxi drivers. So the, the subject matter is torture and violence as part of it. So is it a film worth seeing? It's a film very much worth seeing. It's like, as I think Father James Martin, the Jesuit, American Jesuit who was a consultor on the, uh, on the set, said, it's like a protracted prayer. It is very much worth seeing. I'm making no promises that you, you know, will still be eating your popcorn halfway through it. I think you'd have put that to one side and find yourself absorbed in a film that's hard going, but very rewarding. What did it do to you then after the two hours? How would you say it affected you personally? 
I'm going to have to uh, leave it sitting in my brain for a little bit longer before that'll be clear. I mean, it's, it has raised questions for me. It has brought sort of some of the things that I've said just now have brought them to the surface. It's raised issues that I'd like to return to, think more about and so on. But I think for anybody who approaches it with attentiveness, it will usefully challenge notions that they might have of the meaning of fidelity, loyalty, ethical responsibility, faith, the relationship between God and God's people, and all questions of that kind. <laughs> 